the last section of Romans. We've come to the end of, of a great study. I hope you enjoyed studying the book of Romans. And as I said last week, be in prayer for the next book. I still have no clue where we're going to be in the next few weeks. Next week, <laughs> next week will be obviously in God's word somewhere, and then there's Father's Day. So we'll start a new book within a couple of weeks. So be praying, praying about that. It's going to be some book between Genesis and Revelation, so you could be assured of that. <laughs> but before we dive into this study this morning, let's pray one, one more time and, and ask God to continue to speak to us. And let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, how powerful it is. And I'm sure every believer in this room can attest to how your word has transformed them through the power of your spirit. And we are so thankful for that. And we look every day, Lord God, and every Sunday to be transformed, to be inspired, encouraged, rebuked in some way, Lord God, so that we might be conformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray that this morning uh, as we look at your word, we pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way. And we thank you, Lord God, our Abba. And all agreed by saying, Amen. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. We're going to look at the last six verses, 21 through 27. And the title of this morning's message is The Powerful Word of God. God's Word is powerful. I don't know if you know that or not. How it has transformed many lives, many people throughout history. And I know as, as I give my children their Bibles and I, I try to write something inspirational on the inside. I don't know if you've ever done that. I mean, what could you really write? I mean, that's more powerful than what's already written in there. You know, except to like, hey, make sure you read this because it's going to transform your life. Something to that extent inside the scriptures. Because as I prayed, you know how powerful God's word, how it can transform entire nations, entire cultures. And if you think of the, the power of God's word, how it has affected people throughout world history, I heard recently, and I, I can't verify this, but if you think of all the world's religions, and most of the world religions are really, you know, they have the predominant population of a country, and it doesn't spread out like Christianity has up to this point. Now, if you think about Islam, it's predominantly a, a Middle Eastern religion. You think of Hinduism. It's predominantly an, an Indian religion. And you go on and on if you think of Buddhism, it's East, Eastern Asia. But you think of Christianity and it is worldwide. You have populations of Africans, Latin Americans, English-speaking people in Western Europe and in the United States, the underground church in Asia. God's word is powerful. And this morning, as we close in the book of Romans, you will see Paul is trying to wrap it up in, in like always, in Paul's unique way. He expands upon just a short sentence. I mean, some of Paul's sentences could be like four words, but he just comma after comma after comma. And he goes on and on. Thankfully, we have it contained in the word of God here this morning. So with that said, could you turn me down just a little bit? Is that, was that loud? Using my inside voice. There we go. Let's start in verse 21 as we look at the closing of Paul's letter to, Ro to the Roman churches. He says, 
Timothy, he's going to continue with his greetings that we studied last week. And the bulk of what we're going to study is in verses 25 through 27. But let's bear with me as we read through this. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Remember, he's greeting the church. And so do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. And I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, host to me, and to the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. And Cordus, the brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now to him is... Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. So, let's point out a few things here. The Apostle Paul here at the very end of verses 25 through 27 is given a doxology. And I'll explain that in a moment. But I want to point out one thing before I get there. If you notice in verse 22, some other guy claims to have written this. Did you see that? Did anybody? You're like, Tertius? When did God call you to be an apostle? He's not. What's happening here is a lot of times in the ancient world, the, the author of a letter would hire somebody to write it for him, like a secretary. And so Paul uh, dictated this letter to Tertius, and he dictated, most commentators believe, most of his letters. And somebody wrote it down for him. And here this guy, Tertius, takes the time to say, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord too. So he's a believer, and he just wants to say hi to his fellow believers. That's all that is. So there's no need to go, what? I've been told the Apostle Paul wrote this all my life. And here we finally read it and it says he didn't write it. No, he did. And this happens a number of times. And sometimes the Apostle Paul even inserts his name in letters. For example, in 1 Corinthians, you don't need to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 16, 21. At the end of it, the Apostle Paul says that the greeting is my, in my own hand, Paul. So a lot of times at the very end, the Apostle Paul would write the final greeting. Another time in Galatians 6.11, he says, See with large letters, I have written to you with my own hand. For those of you that are history geeks like me, you might get this. He was the original John Hancock. That's okay if you don't get it. That's, it's just me. You got, just look it up. Google John Hancock and Hannah. And, all right. Moving on. So there you go. So that's who Tertius is. That's what's going on here. But again, I want to focus on this doxology in verses 21 through 27. Now, a doxology basically is, it's just a way of praising God in a short little, you know, section, whether it's after a hymnal, uh, at the end of a prayer. It's something added on to it. Now, let me give you a few examples of this. Let me... And you might miss it here because, again, the Apostle Paul just adds so much to it here. But if it was real short, just look at the beginning of verse 25 and the very end of verse, and, and verse 27. It would be this. Now to him, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. That would be the doxology. But again, as I mentioned, the Apostle Paul, within that doxology, he adds all these other things 
Uh, we're going to discuss those in a minute, but that's what a doxology is. Let me give you a few examples here. In Psalm 41, 13, he says, Blessed be the, be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. This was after the, at the end of a psalm. It was added on to it by the writer. That's a doxology. Another place, uh, the angels even proclaimed this. In Luke 2, verses 13 through 14, it says, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Again, it's throwing praise upon God. And that's what the Apostle Paul does here. Just give me a, let me show you a couple more here. Jesus himself did it in the Lord's Prayer. He says in, in Matthew 6, 13, Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And the book of Revelation is filled with them. Let me give you this one, one of my favorites. In Revelation 5, 8 through 9, it says, When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, here's the doxology, Worthy are you to take the book and to break into its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Again, just praising God at the end of, at the end of a saying, a song, a, a prayer. And again, real simple, the Apostle Paul's doxology, doxology would be, to God who is able to establish you, be glory forever. Amen. And that would be it for the end of Romans. But again, the Apostle Paul crams a few more items in there, and we can't help but see what exactly he's talking about. But it actually kind of gives us an idea of why he's praising God. Why is this doxology in there? Let's go back and look at verse 25, because he gives us two reasons that he inserts these praises to God. And he says, now to him who is able to, number one, establish you. So that's the number one reason why he praised his God here in this doxology, I believe. It's because God is able to establish you. He's talking to the Roman church and by extension, as we'll see in a few moments, you and me as well. And then towards the end of verse 26, this is the second reason why he praises God. So number one, God is powerful enough to establish you. And then he adds this at the end of verse 26. I'm going to read all of 26. But now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. So those are the two reasons and the two things that we're going to study this morning that Paul inserts the reason for such a praise in this doxology. God is, number one, God is powerful enough to establish you. And number two, God is powerful enough to lead nations to obedience of faith. And so those are the two points that we're going to look at. So, with that said, let's look at the next point. Um, Paul praises God for the power to establish the believer. Now that word established, going back to verse 27, means to make firm or to make stable. In the context of what he's talking about, he's talking about the mental, mentally setting, settling the believer and firmly rooting them in the truth of the gospel. Because look at the rest of the verse in verse 25. 
Now to him is to able to establish you according to my gospel and to the preaching of Jesus Christ. So that's the anchor. God is able to establish the believer according to the gospel that Paul is preaching and the preaching of Jesus Christ. James kind of gives us the antithesis of this. Look with me in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, about being unstable. James chapter 1, starting in verse 5. <clears throat> he says this, But if any of you lacks wisdom, the mental side of this is what we're talking about, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will be that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, Paul's praising God for his word because it can make us stable. It anchors us, gives us root, strength in understanding the gospel. When you don't understand the gospel, you're unstable in your ways. This is what James was saying. Paul expresses and explains this desire also for the saints in Ephesus. This is a, a really great section of Scripture. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 14 through 19. 14 through 19. Again, in an effort to show you what he's talking about and give you some more depth than just establish you. So in Ephesians uh, 3, verses, starting in verse 14, he's talking about what he, really what he prays for this church. At Ephesus, and he says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Look at this to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So his prayer is that the church will be strengthened in the inner man. For what purpose? Look at as we as we read on so that. This is why you're going to be strengthened in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that, in, and, and that you being rooted and grounded in love. So two things to point out here. He wants you to be strength, He wants the church to be strengthened in the inner man. Number one, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts, so they have a right understanding of the gospel, and Christ is settled in their hearts by faith. They truly believe on Christ. And that they will be rooted and grounded in love. And let's continue on. This one is even, is even better. In verse 18. And may be able to comprehend. So he wants them to understand something. He wants all the saints. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That is, if you think about it, do you, can you say to yourself, I, I can't, that I truly understand the length and height and depth and breadth of Christ's love for me? Even as we were singing those songs, I was thinking, I, I don't even truly comprehend the words that I'm saying, that Jesus paid it all. 
that we think of he just paid for our sins, but he's, he's paid for, I'm sure, for so much more, every little sin that I've ever committed. And I thought of it as I stand before the throne. Imagine that. When you truly stand before God, how, I mean, I don't, it's just crazy to think of those things. How big and massive God is. And I'm trying to remember the lyrics to the song, I'm sorry. But it talked about him holding eternity, right, in his hand. You know, he just stands there. He has all eternity. Can you just focus on that for a minute? That's how big God is. We make God so little. God is enormous. And we probably, it would take us a lifetime to truly understand the love that he has for each and every one of us. Even for non-believers and people that you may think are so evil, God loves that person. We can't understand it. But God's love, so this is, the, this is where he's going with this, to truly just focus on those things. God, he wants God to strengthen the church in those areas. And he continues on, he doesn't stop. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled up to all fullness of God. Right? The more you understand, the more full of, of, of uh, and I don't want to make it seem like, well, if I know more, I'm going to have more of God. No, but it's just an understanding, the relationship that you have. The more you know somebody, the more you love them, the more you find out about them, the more you have in common with them. You build up that relationship. And he's saying that's what his prayer is for the church. And that they would be established and strengthened in that. Why? Because you know what? There's so many things in this world that are going to come at you and try to distract you from that. And you're going to forget about God's love for you. And you're going to think that God doesn't love you because he has allowed this to happen. But if uh, you were to, you know, peel back the veil and see that this is God's plan for the world, that he's allowed these things to happen to strengthen you, to demonstrate his love to you, to judge the world in the process, then you would have a fuller understanding. You'd be able to stand strong in the midst of those trials and tribulations. And of all that's going on, we wouldn't be, you know, being tossed to and fro, as James said, because we lack that knowledge. And so going back to our text again, but stay in Ephesians, so I'm going to come back to in a minute. He's saying, I want that God is powerful enough to establish you in this understanding of who he is. There's nothing else and nobody else that can do it. Go, and as I said, go back to Ephesians again, chapter 4, verse 12. Here, the Apostle Paul, he began in verse 3, and then he describes a process of what that looks like and how that plays out in the church. And I mentioned this last week and the week before, but this verse is just so relevant to the church today that we need to understand it. So in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 12, after he has just said he'd given out the apostles and pastors and teachers, he says this in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up, of a bo- building up of the body of Christ. So again, and I mentioned this last week. If you were here, you remember this. Or if you don't, you're going to hear it again anyways. If you don't remember it, now you'll remember it, I hope. That the positions each and every one of us plays in the church is to work together to build each other up. And I said it last week, and I said it again. This is why it is vital to be in communion together. As a body, 
Because when we're distracted and, and we're over here and we're over there and we're on our own and, and we start missing church, we start missing fellowship with our brothers and sisters, that's when we tend to forget all these things. But we need to be strengthened. And here he continues on. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Again, that knowledge is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in Romans, to be strengthened in that knowledge of who God is or who Jesus is more in particular. And continue on. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, so as we're building each other up, as we're growing in our understanding and our knowledge of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us and how much he loves us, verse 14 says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. This is what the Apostle James says happens when you're unstable in your knowledge of Christ, when you lack that wisdom of Christ. You're being tossed to and fro by the latest and greatest cultural ideas Religious, um, religious ideas. They say, no, here as we build each other up, working properly, we're no longer being tossed back and forth in that way. And he says, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming, but instead speaking the truth and love, we grow up in all aspects to him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. God is able to strengthen us in that way. And the means of him doing that, obviously, is the word of God, which we're going to talk about in a few moments, and the church, you and me, we need each other. Don't think that you don't need your brothers and sisters in the Lord. We're here to strengthen, encourage, challenge, build each other up because the world out there does not do that to you in regards to Christ. So let's go back to our text now. Now to him who is able to establish you in that way according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And we'll get to that in a moment. So, He's praising God. The reason he has this doxology is he's praising God because God has the power to establish every believer. Not only that, the second point, which is found at the end of verse 26, is he praises God for the power to lead the believer to obedience and faith. So once you're strengthened, once you're being built up now, God gives you the power to walk in obedience by faith. And that obedience means complete submission to God. Once you have that understanding of God, and as you grow in it more and more, the more you submit to God, because you understand who he is and what he desires for your life and what it means to be a follower of Christ. You see, a believer will be submissive to, to God's will. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfectly submissive, Right, because we still have this flesh that, that that we dwell in. We still have our old nature, unfortunately. That's why, again, back in the beginning of Romans or somewhere in the middle, remember the Apostle Paul lamenting, like, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. Who will deliver me from this, this body of death? 
And it's like, well, you just got to carry him around, Paul, until Christ return or until you die. And that's the reality of it. We are going to struggle until the day that we die, which is why we need to be in fellowship together. We can never relent. We have to always fight. So a believer will be submissive to God by faith. You cannot just say, yeah, I prayed a prayer and that's all I needed to do. And then there is no fruit because Jesus himself in Matthew 20 or Matthew 7 verse 21 says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. It's submission, submitting your life to Christ. And then again, and this is a verse I, I forgot to change with our media team, so you're going to have to look it up in your Bible. Uh, John 14, verse 23 through 24. John 14, verses 23 and 24. says this. Jesus answered and said to him, meaning Judas, not Iscariot, one of the other apostles, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Those are just two examples of of Jesus speaking of what it means to be his. So it's not just our words, it's our actions. Referring back to James, remember James said, uh, you know, that he will show somebody that has belief by their works. So works don't save us. They're just an outgrowth of our obedience to Christ. I like what one commentator said. He says, such obedience is based on faith and springs from faith. Such obedience is based on faith and springs from faith. It has nothing to do of our own selves. It's what Christ has given us. Submitting to his word, and it causes us to be obedient. So the question comes now, how does God establish the believers and lead them to obedience and faith? And this goes back to the very beginning of verse 25, where the Apostle Paul says, Now to him who is able to establish you, and here's the two ways, according to my gospel, that's Paul speaking, and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So those are the two ways that God does it. And they both refer back to the word of God. And I'll show you that. So number one, how does God establish the believers and lead them to obedience and faith through Paul's gospel? Now, you might be thinking Paul's gospel. Is that a different gospel? No, it is not a different gospel. Right. Paul, if we go thinking of the book of Romans that we've just gone through, the apostle Paul has preached salvation to both Jew and Gentile, which is consistent with the scriptures. And again, we're going to touch on that in a little bit. And he preached Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, not only to Rome, but to every church that he went to. And I want to just give you one example here in, in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Romans 10, verses 9 through 11. This is Paul's gospel right here. He says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. For with the right, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. That is what Christ, or excuse me, what Paul has been preaching, and that was to Rome. And so he's wrapping it up here at the end of his letter. This is Paul's gospel. You remember over and over again as well throughout Paul's letters, he would say, if somebody else comes preaching a different gospel, even himself, even angels then let them be a curse. Paul's gospel is going to be consistent with what the Old Testament prophets had proclaimed. You remember Paul's M.O. was he would go into a city, and the first thing he would do is go into a synagogue and reason with them from the Old Testament scriptures how Jesus is fulfillment of the Messiah that was called to come. So he's not given a new gospel. He's proclaiming the same gospel He's just unveiling it to them, as you'll see in a moment, as he says. So go back to our text again. So through Paul's gospel, the second one is through the preaching of Jesus Christ. So both Paul's gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ are based on, look at what it says here, according to the revelation, this is verse 25, the rest of it, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret, for long ages past. So he's saying the preaching of Jesus Christ and this gospel that Paul is proclaiming has been, it's being revealed, it's a revelation of that mystery. And don't think of a mystery the sense of we might think of a mystery, something mysterious or secret, you know, that's kind of scary. No, it's more of like a revealing. He's going to reveal what in times past has been concealed. And that's consistent with what Jesus taught over and over again in the Gospels. You see, the New Testament writers are now revealing what was written by the Old Testament prophets. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says that him and other apostles are servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's 1 Corinthians 4.1. So they have this, their job now is to reveal to the world what the Old Testament was prophesying. Remember over and over again, Jesus was trying to explain to the Pharisees, the religious leaders who truly knew the Old Testament, that I'm the one that these scriptures speak about. But their eyes were veiled. It wasn't until Christ unveiled them, to unveiled their eyes that they would see that. And the Apostle Paul says, this is our job as the New Testament writers and proclaimers of the gospel is to Reveal this mystery to the rest of the world. And that's why he says in verse 26, But now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to the obedience of faith. You see how that works. He says, My gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, is according to the revelation of the Old Testament, which was kept secret. It's not something new. You know, when we think of new covenant, sometimes you think of, well, the old one didn't work, so God had to make a new one. But if you look at the rest of this verse, he says, this is according to the commandment of the eternal God. In times past, this was God's plan all along. And I wish we had enough time this morning to go through the Old Testament and show you consistently how this was the plan. But I'm going to do it with just one verse, just for an example here. 
So this plan was commanded from God from the, all eternity, and the Old Testament prophets talked about this. Now, they didn't fully understand it, and even the apostles didn't. How many times did Jesus over and over again said, how long must I be with you? You guys don't understand. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to them, and they said, are you going to establish your kingdom now, Jesus? Is this it? They still didn't understand. He said, that's not for you to know. Your job is to go out and proclaim the gospel to every nation. So it's not a new plan. It's just been fully comprehended now with the, the coming of Christ. It's kind of like um, explaining something to a little child uh, that they, they're not going to fully understand until they get some other knowledge. So I don't know how many of you are into soccer, but right now there's a big tournament going on. And um, my little son loves soccer. And he wants to understand, well, okay, they just lost, so what happens next? And I'm trying to say, well, it's a tournament, and they got two more games, and then the top two teams from each group, then they advance. I mean, he's not going to get that. It's just too advanced. I mean, only me with this great knowledge knows that. I can't reveal that to him. But in a sense, not so, you know, <laughs> blatantly, that's what Apostle Paul is talking about. There was this knowledge that they didn't, fully comprehended until Jesus Christ came and then revealed it to everybody. That's why he spoke in parables a lot and, you know, is trying to reveal things to certain people at certain times. See how this is, this, this topic the Apostle Paul brings up just opens up a whole new thing that, you know, it's like Apostle Paul just couldn't close the letter. He just had to throw that out at the Romans. But the point is it's not a new plan. It just hasn't, it's, it's just now being revealed to the church at Rome. Now, we look back and go, yeah, we see it. It's easy. We know. We read the scriptures. Oh, yeah, why can't they see that? But if we were living at that time, we wouldn't have seen it either probably until it was revealed to us. Let me just show you one scripture in the Old Testament uh, in the book of Hosea. It's one of the minor prophets. Hosea chapter 9, verses 23 through 25 so part of this mystery that the Apostle Paul is talking about, now he's already revealed it to Rome, to the church at Rome, and that mystery is, are you ready, is that salvation is available for the Gentiles as well, that they will be included in the real Israel of God. Now we've already talked about this in Romans 9, 10, and 11, and so the Apostle Paul is summing it up here. But let me just show you an Old Testament scripture that alludes to, and Hosea might not have truly understood it, that there are more people outside of the nation Israel who are considered real Israel. And he says this in Hosea 9, 23-25, And I will call those people who were not my people, my people, and her who was not my beloved, beloved. It's an allusion to the Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, that's you, that's me. We're Gentiles. Because Israel thought salvation was just for them and only them. But again, like I said, if we had time, we could go through the Old Testament scripture after scripture showing how no, there was always an illusion that it was bigger than Israel. It was bigger than ethnic Israel. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul just blows it open wide in Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verses 1 through 6. Ephesians uh, chapter 1, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Because this is that mystery that's been hidden in the past and is made known now to the Apostle Paul. 
and all the writers of the New Testament. It says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, and here it is, that by revelation there were made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in our generation was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets of the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promises in Jesus Christ through the gospel. Very plainly, he lays it out for the church. It's like this mystery, which nobody knew beforehand, was that the Gentiles were going to be fellow heirs with who? With the Jewish people, those particular who kept covenant with God. And he remember, remember in Romans chapter 11, he talked about Israel was going to be set aside because of disbelief, and then the Gentiles were going to be grafted into the true vine, and it will cause Israel to become jealous, and if they repent and accept Christ as Savior, then they'll be saved too. Then all Israel will be saved. All Israel are those, both ethnic and non-ethnic Jews, who keep covenant with God. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 11. Salvations come to all of Israel, meaning Jew and Gentile, who keep covenant with God. And Christ, another mystery is that Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Again in Ephesians, verse, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Look at what it says here. <clears throat> Ephesians 1, 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, speaking of Jesus, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven, things of earth. Let me stop right there. He's talking about all the things that were written in times past. And again, I could show you more scripture without time are all summed up in Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. So this is the great mystery that the Apostle Paul is just closing his letter with, reminding the church at Rome that you guys, you Gentiles, and you believing uh, Israelites are one in Christ. You are the Israel of God. Salvation is for the Jew and also the Gentile, right? And that's through Jesus Christ. So, with that said, let's just make a few points of application as we close this morning. Number one, are you rooted and grounded in Christ? As I mentioned, are you rooted and grounded in Christ to the point that, that you are firmly established in faith? You trust Christ as Lord and Savior and you're growing in your knowledge and understanding of him. Now, I'm sure we can all say, including myself, I could, I could do that even more so. That's, that's a given. But, the, but is it at the first step, are you a saved? Are you established in the work of Christ? Do you believe, as the apostle said, that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised him from the dead? 
Have you confessed that and you believe that? If so, praise God. Just like the Apostle Paul in his doxology was praising God who is able to establish the believer. And we should do that as believers. Praise God that he's chosen me. That he allowed me to come into true Israel and experience and be co-heirs. Right? And going back to Ephesians, he's broken down the wall between Jew and Gentile and made them one. And all the promises to the Old Test in the Old Testament that were given to Israel are now the churches as well, those who believe. Praise God for that. Secondly, in, question, in answering the question, are you rooted and grounded in Christ? If not, if you are not, then I urge you by the mercies of God to repent and believe. Because there is coming a day when salvation will no longer be offered to men and women. Nobody knows that day and hour, not even the Son. But it's coming. So are you rooted and grounded in Christ? If yes, praise God. If not, repent and believe. Secondly, are you walking in obedience to faith? Christian believer, you're, you're saved. You, you've confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. You believe that God ro- raised him from the dead. The second point comes, are you walking in obedience to him? Have you fully submitted all aspects of your life to him? If so, praise God. We should praise God for that, that God's helping me to, to walk by faith close to him. Again, that doesn't mean 100%, because none of us are 100%. That will never happen on this side of heaven, unfortunately. But if we've submitted and we're walking in obedience with the power of God, then let's praise him for that. Praise God that he's helping you walk along with him in obedience. And finally, if you're not, if you're not walking in obedience to him, even as a believer, if you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm to- I, I believe it. I truly believe Christ is my Lord and Savior, but I'm, I'm just not walking with him the way I should be. Maybe you once walked with him a lot closer then I urge you also to repent and fully submit to God. You know, I think of uh, the prodigal son who had once was in his father's home, and then he, he went away and took all that God or that his father had given him, and he squandered it. And he decided to run back to God, his father. I keep saying God because that's what it's about. He decided to run back to his father, and his father welcomed him back with open arms and embraced him. The same is true for every believer who's, Ran away from God. The minute that you turn and fully submit back to God, he, run, he receives you with open arms. He doesn't chastise you. He doesn't rub your face and look what you did. You need to do this and this before you come. No, he just comes. He, he allows you to come back. So if you've walked away and you're not walking in obedience, I urge you too, by the mercies of God to repent and fully submit to God. So this covers all of us. If we're, you know, we're like, hey, I'm on my best day, you know, then praise God. If you're walking close with him by his grace, you've submitted to him, praise him. And if not, repent. Return to him or come to him the first time. You know, as we sing this next song, you'll have that opportunity. There will be people in the back that could pray for you. If, that, if for whatever reason, one of these two areas speaks to you, I, I 
I pray that you will respond to that. And for the rest of us, after I pray, let's stand and praise God for what he's done. Lord God, we thank you so much, as we do every Sunday, for the power of your word. And I pray this morning that each and every one of us in this room, believer or non-believer, would realize how powerful your word is. And how through the power of your Holy Spirit, it can strengthen us and establish us. And cause us to grow in the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. In the knowledge of how much you love us. The breadth and height and depth and length of your love towards each and every one of us. And Lord God, we also pray and thank you for showing us this morning how to walk in obedience to you. Just fully submitting our lives to you again in every moment, every day, Lord God. That we need to do that. Because we have a real enemy who seeks to derail us and cause us to fall and give us doubt so that we walk away from you. Question your love for us. May we be rooted and grounded in your love. Help us to to do that, Lord God. If there's anybody in this room this morning who's never believed on you and believed that you raised your son from the dead, I pray this morning that they would cry out to you and repent that they would submit their lives fully to you. If there's any in this room this morning, Lord God, who've walked away from you, who have forgotten about you, who have stopped doing those things that they once did and find themselves so far away, I pray, Lord God, that you would soften their hearts, that you would cause them to repent and return to your open arms. We pray all this to the only wise God, creator of heaven and earth, maker of all things. We all agree by saying.